The reading this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 2. It's on page 1179 in your Bible. We're beginning to read at verse 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good promise. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on this sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because he heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Elaine. Let's just pray together. Father, as we come to um, look into your word, uh, Lord, we confess that we need uh, the help of the Spirit to help us hear what you have to say to us. So pre please whisper into our hearts this morning what you are teaching us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
I think there's a, a debate going on in our country about leadership. Now, I'm not making a political point here, but people are asking the question, is it okay to say what you think and do what you like as long as you get the job done? Does it matter what leaders do and how they behave just as long as they deliver? A debate I think we're having in this country, but probably both sides of the Atlantic as well. It's an interesting discussion, and of course it does cross, cross the political divide. Can we divorce the person from their position, or do the two go together? And <clears throat> what about us as Christians? Can we divorce what we believe from what we do? Can we argue that as long as we believe the right things, we can behave just as we like? It's an important question for us nationally and for us in the church. And two weeks ago, we looked at the first um, part of this chapter, the first 11 verses, and we read in verse 5, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So as Christians, we are to model our lives on Jesus we are, to, we are to be like him in the way that we behave, this, the way we speak to each other, and even in our attitudes. The message translates Jesus taking on our humanity using these words. It says, it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. What an amazing example Jesus sets for us so if we're going to follow jesus as we were singing about just a few moments ago then humility and obedience are going to mark us out as different but how can we live like this well that's how the next few verses help us and first we see that it's god who works it in and we work it out one of the first tasks i was given when i arrived as a new young no not young a new vicar here um, in the parish was to ride a bicycle. After the rehearsal for my licensing, just over two years ago now it is, uh, Andy said to me, Dave, can you ride a bike? <laughs> so keen to impress, I said, yes, of course I can. He said, well, there's a couple of bikes which need delivering to a church family who live very near you. So moments later, I was following Andy on a bike as he sped off before me. I was hoping he hadn't seen me as I got off and pushed the bike up the hill. But eventually we arrived, or I arrived, at Tim and um, Matthias' house. Slightly breathless and red-faced, I struggled to explain to Melita or Donda, I don't know which one it was, I can't remember, that I was the new vicar delivering <sighs> her bike. <laughs> she took one look at me and disappeared into the back of the house. A few moments later, they all came out to check that I really was the new vicar and wondered why I was riding their bike. Andy hasn't managed to convert me to becoming a cyclist. But one thing I do know is that to get a bike going, you need to put your foot on the pedal. Once the first pedal is pushed, it propels the bike into action. But you need to push the other pedal until both pedals are moving in unison, and then you can move forward effectively. In verse 12, we are told to work out our own salvation. What on earth might that mean? Well, the first thing to say, it doesn't mean work for your own salvation. We can't earn our forgiveness from God by what we do. We can't earn eternal life by what we do. So what does it mean? Well, the Christian message is that God 
works it in, and we work it out. Back to our cycling illustration. God pushes the pedal first, and we join in. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So it's God that starts this all off. That we have to join in with what he's doing in our lives. We show outwardly what God has done inwardly. That's why in verse 12 it says, work out your salvation. God works it in, we work it out. So how can we imitate Jesus? How can we be like him? Well, there are three things that um, these verses tell us we need to do. And they are obedience, responsibility, and sensitivity. The first thing we're called to do is to be obedient in verse 12. Just as Jesus obeyed his father, and you see that in all the preceding verses, we too are called to a life of obedience. And it began for these Philippian Christians when they heard the message, the gospel message that Paul brought to them, and they obeyed that message, they responded. And so we are called, when we hear the message of the gospel, to stop, to turn around and go in a different direction, to follow Jesus. Paul is reminding us how it all starts, where the spark came from. I'm going to use another illustration with Andy um, involved in it. Um, a few weeks ago, Andy took some of the men to um, the woods that he helps to manage in Penwortham. I'm hoping that we as a church family can go there at some point because it's a great place to go. And he was teaching us how to light a fire using a flint. And we all got a chance to use a flint to ignite, ignite some kindling. It took a while just to get the knack of it to make a spark. But after a few goes, we managed to get the spark and then flames came. But we also had to make sure that we were, we were feeding the fire. Giving, putting in the kindling to make sure the fire kept burning. And Paul is saying here that God started the work in you. If you like, he made the spark happen. But you've got a part to play as well to keep that fire burning. God works it in. We work, we're working it out. And the second way we are told to work out our salvation is to take responsibility. Paul says, work out your salvation. I don't know whether some of you remember a few years ago, there was a popular um, little phrase that was going around um, saying, that said, let go and let God. Behind it was the idea that um, we can't do anything to make ourselves like Jesus. We just have to sit back and let it all happen to us. And there's a sense in which that is true. Uh, we can't, by our own effort, become like Christ. But the Christian life is a balance of resting and working. Resting in what God has done to give us new life, but taking responsibility for our own spiritual growth. We're called by Christ to shoulder the responsibility to get the work done. The responsibility for your spiritual growth is not with me, and the responsibility for my spiritual growth is not with you. It's with each one of us. You know, for example, coming to church on a Sunday, you know, we make that decision the night before. If we leave it till Sunday morning, you can be pretty sure... We ain't going to go. We take responsibility. We decide what we're going to be doing. Um, and that's what God calls us to do. Thirdly, there's sensitivity. Um, that's part of our work as well. Yesterday, a group of us went out on a prayer walk around the parish, about 17 or 18 of us, I think, with Bishop Jill. We had a wonderful um, time, <coughs> a couple of hours praying on a Saturday afternoon. doesn't sound like much fun, does it? But it was. It was amazing. We really sense um, God's presence with us as we walk around and praying, picking up litter as well, talking to people. And then we all gather back in church afterwards and shared our experiences together. Lots of stories about um, 
people that we met on the roads, people, places that we prayed, how we sensed God was leading us to pray. And at the end, Bishop Jill prayed for us. And after she'd prayed and said, Amen, one of the group that was here said that um, as Bishop Jill said, Amen, she saw a picture, a vision of an angel standing here in the front of church, just as, as Bishop said, Amen, the, the angel shot up. And um, there was a sense in which we felt, yeah, we, we, as we went out praying in that area, that there was an angel with us, leading us, guiding us, helping us. I don't know whether you believe in that kind of stuff or not, but according to the Bible, angels exist, and angels come and support people and help people and minister to people. And the person that shared this picture was, was actually visibly moved by it and was shaken and trembling as, as they shared what they had seen. And, and this is what this verse here is talking about. Work out your faith and your salvation with fear and trembling. We're not on some kind of self-help improvement program here. God is at work in our life. The awesome, powerful God is at work. And just sometimes we get glimpses of what that is all about, like we did yesterday afternoon, and it makes you tremble. Let's recognize what's going on in our lives as God is at work in us. So if there are three things that we need to do to be obedient, responsible, and sensitive, um, there's also God's part in this. And we see that in these verses that God's work in our life is that he's active, he's effective, and he brings to completion. Verse 13 says, It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So first of all, God is active in our lives. If we've invited Jesus into our lives and made that decision to follow him, then that means that God's spirit lives in us. He's at work in us. We have the indwelling presence of God in our lives. And he is always at work. He never sleeps. He never takes a day off. He's the active indweller. And secondly, God is effective in achieving his purposes in our lives. God has got a purpose in each of our lives, and it's going to look a little bit differently for each one of us, and it's for our good. Do you believe that? You know, God allows us to go through all sorts of experiences to shape and change us, to bring us to the conformity of Jesus, to make us like his son, <coughs> Jesus. And he's the one that starts that work and continues that work in our lives. Thirdly, God works towards completeness. Um, in our first um, se um, session on, so first sermon on Philippians in chapter 1, we read this verse in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Unlike my failed attempts at DIY, God is a completer finisher. What he starts, he will finish. So you might be thinking, this is all very theoretical, Dave. How does it actually work out in practice? What can we expect? Well, Paul gives us three um, case studies to help us understand what this is all about um, as he helps us to see God's, when we follow him in this way, when we cooperate with him working in us, then God's light will shine through us. We're looking at verses 14 onwards. Have you noticed how um, there's some roadworks at the end of Broadway? Has anyone noticed those roadworks by any chance? Um, if you haven't, then you must have been on another planet. Um, we are promised that these roadworks will improve our lives. Uh, and they will ensure eventually that the traffic flows, particularly through Penmillion. 
but we have to put up with a bit of delay and a bit of inconvenience for the next few weeks or months, probably. As we read on from verse 14, we get a bit of a shock. There's a bit of a rude awakening in the next verse. Paul says to the church and to us in verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I think one of the biggest roadblocks that any church has to face is grumbling and complaining. It's a barrier to growth and it's a barrier to progression and it can take us into a cycle of negativity. Now, I'm not saying that because it's a particular problem at the moment, but it's something that can always happen, isn't it? Something that we, we, are, we, we are particularly prone to, all of us. But it can be so damaging and we need to nip it in the bud whenever it raises its ugly head. But it seems that in the church in Philippi that this had become an issue. And Paul is saying, stop it. Stop complaining. Stop arguing. I don't think he's saying that we shouldn't be giving feedback to the leaders to say, why don't you think about this or could we do this in a different way? He's talking about that sort of pernicious going, you know, behind the scenes, complaining and arguing with each other, which is quite different. If we want to shine for Jesus in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our families, in our homes, then we are told then to stop grumbling, stop complaining. Um, And as we hold out the message of life to others, then we will be like lights shining in the darkness. So our conduct does matter. The way we speak to one another, it does matter if we want to live like Jesus does and love like Jesus does. And it matters how we behave, what our attitudes are like. Um, we now get three specific um, examples. Of course, our, the overarching example is Jesus himself, and we've seen that in the first part of the chapter. But now Paul gives us uh, three examples of people who are living out their lives for Jesus. And he gives the example of himself, first of all. In verse 17, he says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. What on earth is he talking about here? Well, he's referring back to the Jewish practice of offering uh, lambs as sacrifices. And what he's saying is, you know, the the church in Philippi is working hard, serving God, witnessing, sharing with one another. And that is like their lamb, their sacrifice. Um, And he is like, um, the Old Testament talked about um, another kind of offering was a drink offering, which was poured over, it was a mixture of oil and wine that was poured over the sacrifice of an animal. So he's saying, I'm, you know, you're, you're like this lamb that's been sacrificed through your worship and your service, but I'm like the, the drink offering that's been poured over the top of it. He's saying, you know, I'm in chains, I'm in prison, I can't go out and do very much. I, I'm stuck here praying for you and writing these letters, but, but I'm, I'm living for Jesus. This, this, you know, he's got integrity, Paul. He doesn't just tell people what to do. He's living it out, and he sees that what he's doing is adding to what they're doing together a joint sacrifice for God. And then Paul goes on to give um, two real-life examples. The first one is um, about a man, young man called Timothy. Look in verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now, Timothy was a young man, and he had a gift of uh, being able to teach the Bible. What's interesting here is that Paul doesn't say, I'm sending you this amazing Bible teacher, and you're going to be blown away by how amazing he is at teaching the Bible. You're going to love him. Instead, he says something else about Timothy. In verse 20, he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not not those of Jesus Christ. 
So Paul commends Timothy, not because of the gift he's got and what he can do, but because of who he is and what motivates him. So, again, we see the important thing in our Christian lives, in our everyday interactions with those at work, in our families, in our communities, as well as all that we do in church, is our character, the way we talk to each other, the way we talk to other people, our attitudes. The church is built up by authentic and genuine concern for each other. And Timothy had proved himself in this way, so Paul sends him to the church to, to do some Bible teaching for them. The second example is a man called Epaphroditus. And um, this man, Epaphroditus, he was a member of the church in Philippi. And um, when the church heard that Paul was in prison, they were really worried about him. And they thought, how can we help him? And they thought, right, we'll send somebody. And they chose this man, Epaphroditus. They sent him to where Paul was in prison. We don't know if that was in Rome or in Ephesus. And Paul was there to support, sorry, Epaphroditus was there to support Paul in prison. Not a very glamorous task, not a very exciting thing to do, risky as well, because he had to go into prison and bring in meals, look after his needs. Paul was in prison because of his faith. <laughs> he risked because of his association with Paul. He could have too been imprisoned. It wasn't a glamorous task. And it seems like the pressure of this took its toll on Epaphroditus, because we read in 20, verse 27 that he got ill. <coughs> and when the church back home in Philippi heard that he was sick, um, they um, got very concerned about him and worried for him. And Epaphroditus got to hear that the church in Philippi was worried about him. He was such a, a selfless man that he was disturbed. Not that he was sick, but they were worried on his account that his illness had caused distress to others. And the interesting thing is that the word that's used for distress, it talks about how he was distressed when he heard that the church knew about his situation. That is the same word that is used to describe how, deep, how Jesus was deeply troubled in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how Jesus was just overcome with sorrow. That's a, that's a depth of sorrow that he was feeling. So this illness that he had may, may have been what we often describe as burnout. Um, it may have had a physical element to it, but it sounds like it had a mental health element to it as well. Here's someone who burnt himself out in his ministry. But what's interesting here is that Paul doesn't criticize him. He should have taken more days off. He should have had a better work-life balance. He doesn't say that. He says, welcome him. Honor people like him. And in this week of mental health awareness, it's interesting, isn't it, um, how, how we need to respect those who've perhaps worn themselves out in life not judge them. So, a lot of stuff in this passage, but what's our takeaway today from today's passage? Well, I wonder if you have a gym membership, and if you do have a gym membership, do you go? I think some people will be very disciplined, and they'll go two or three times a week <coughs> and make the most of their gym membership, but perhaps you may be more like me when I last had a gym membership. I started off well, but over time, I just ended up not going, paid the money, I was a member, but I never went. You see, when it comes to the Christian life, it isn't enough just to have a membership. There has to be a daily workout, working out what God has worked in us, to take responsibility for our own spiritual health, to live out 
our relationships and our interactions with others, our faith, and live our faith out in those contexts to rediscover the balance of resting and working in Christ so that we might shine for Jesus wherever he places us this week. So we're going to end um, by singing again another song, which I think really is a prayer.